Good morning. I'd like you to think of the friends that you've had over the years and all the experiences that you've shared with them. Maybe you came to know them through playing sports together. Maybe you uh, became closer with them through working together. Or if you enjoy shopping, maybe that was something that brought and kept you together. For some people, it's video games. For others, it's meeting, with co- meeting for coffee, going on road trips. Maybe it was summer camp or just school. And going through school for 12 years can really create a bond between people. And now think of the word fellowship. Fellowship is a word that carries a lot of different connotations. Uh, there's academic fellowship. You might think of the fellowship of the rings. Uh, if you're like Google, you might start thinking of fellowship like friendly association. That's how Google starts with uh, its definition of fellowship. But at the core of fellowship is sharing something in common together. And so all of those friendships and all those shared experiences that you've had over the course of your life were experiences of some type of fellowship, not necessarily Christian fellowship, but you shared something in common with with another, and so you fellowshiped. And in church, we have a subculture, and the word tends to be used as a spiritual word for hangout. So let's fellowship together. It's Christianese for hangout. Uh, And fellowship may start by simply hanging out, but it's much more than just hanging out. And so today we're talking about fellowship as part of our Experiencing God study that Henry Blackaby wrote and that we've been working through in our time together. And Blackaby tries to avoid all this confusion around the word of fellowship by using another word for it, a Greek word, the Greek word for fellowship, koinonia. And he defines koinonia as the fullest possible partnership and fellowship with God and other believers. And so if I lost you when I said Greek or koinonia, here's what he's saying. Fellowship is the fullest possible fellowship with God and others. And normally, at least in my opinion, and from what I was taught in school, it's not all that helpful to use the words you're defining in the definition. But he's still kind of getting onto something that we're going to see in our passage today. And this whole idea of fellowship is so much more than getting the right definition. It's so much more than just understanding fellowship. Fellowship is absolutely essential as a reality, a practice in your life, my life, and the life and future of this church. It's absolutely essential. Because we would never say that our friendships and our relationships are unimportant to us, would we? And we would never say that God's word is unimportant or doesn't speak to our relationships. But if we don't let God's word define our relationships, define our fellowship, then we're either saying the relationships aren't that important or God and his word isn't that important. So we really do need to know. It really is essential. What is meant by this word fellowship from a biblical perspective? We need to know it so that we can do it. And so Blackaby actually points us to a really good place to kind of begin grasping what fellowship is when he points us to 1 John throughout Unit 11 in his study. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to see three answers to the question, what is Christian fellowship? What is Christian fellowship? 1 John chapter 1, what was from the beginning 
what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So as I mentioned this morning, we're going to look at the question, what is Christian fellowship? We're going to see three answers. And the first answer is Christian fellowship is both vertical and horizontal. And so even though Blackaby used the word in his definition, he still got it right, because I think this is the most important element that John is emphasizing in this first chapter, that Christian fellowship is both vertical and horizontal. And as you can see with the picture, vertical entails the Christian's relationship with his or her God. By horizontal, Christian fellowship entails the relationship with other people, and especially in the context of 1 John 1, especially other Christians. And we're going to talk about people who aren't Christians later, but first, fellowship is vertical with God and then horizontal with other believers. So let's look and see how John says this. In verse 3, he says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. He's inviting his readers, Christian audience, to fellowship with him. And indeed, he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So do you see the connection? It's both vertical and horizontal. If you want to have fellowship with us, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we see the same thing later on in verses 6 and 7. He writes, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we're, we're lying But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with not, he doesn't say God here. You'd expect him to say God, right? But we have fellowship with one another. That's because Christian fellowship is vertical and horizontal. It's not one or the other, it's both. You have to have both. And so this shouldn't be surprising because if you're familiar with how Jesus summarized the whole Bible, and how, what he said was most important. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was driving at vertical and horizontal relationships. So before we love others, before we know what it means to love others, we first must receive love 
and let God define love for us. So last week, we talked about the church and how every single person, every member, has a role to play. He's calling each of us to participate in ministry. And so bringing that into this week and vertical and horizontal relationships, the most important thing that you can do to participate in ministry is to invest in your vertical relationship. Now, don't misapply this and think, oh, that gets me out of helping in the nursery or getting time with others in the church outside of Sunday morning or outside a small group, or that gets me out of mowing or making coffee. No, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not invest in your relationship with God or serve. It's both. And it's serve out of the overflow of your love relationship with God. Fellowship isn't vertical or horizontal. It's vertical and horizontal relationships. And fellowship, Christian fellowship, is sharing Christ in common together. So if, if we just focus on one or the other, if we just focus on vertical relationship with God or just horizontal relationship with others, what are we missing out on? Well, in verse 4, John says, we write these things so that our joy may be made complete. So fellowship is actually essential to our experience of joy as Christians. And so going back to what Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love God entirely. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor. Jesus, he really was the most brilliant man, really is the most brilliant man who's ever lived. And so he knows exactly that vertical, horizontal relationship has our joy on the line. Our joy is on the line in those relationships. So you might be thinking, okay, what if I want to pursue making my joy complete? What if I want to pursue fellowship? How can I do that? Well, let's look at how to do that vertically first, since that's the first and greatest commandment, and then let's look at how to do it horizontally. Spending time with Jesus. Just invest in your walk with God. And there is no magic formula as to what that looks like. For example, when I spend time with my friends, some friends like to climb walls with me. We go rock wall climbing. Other friends like to play basketball with me. Other friends just like to eat with me. Other friends just talk on the phone with me. And so when you spend time with Jesus, find what works. But what's most important is that you're spending time with him. You're setting aside time to listen to him, to talk to him. And so if having a quiet time is totally new to you, I mean, you've heard about it, but you've never really tried it, uh, here's a really simple framework to get started. Pray about anything. God's not going to be intimidated or scared or offended at your lack of knowledge, at your lack of words. Just talk to him. So pray Read part of the Bible. Maybe start in 1 John or start in the Gospel of John. And then pray, talk to God about what you read, even if you didn't understand it. And if you do that for five minutes every day, you're going to start a habit of spending time with God. And if you've been at it for a while, find ways to keep your heart engaged. This is how we grow in fellowship. We invest in our relationships, both vertically and horizontally. And the goal of a quiet time, often 
people say like, oh, I had a quiet time, but it wasn't a good one. Well, what do you mean? The goal of a quiet time isn't to feel good or to come away with any feelings. The goal is to spend time with God. So how could it not be a good quiet time if you had a quiet time? Maybe you had distractions, but if I got time with my wife or with a good friend, even if I'm distracted in my mind, at least I got time. And sure, I might not want the time to look like that next time, but I still got time. And getting time is better than not getting time. So the goal is to be with your God, whether you're distracted or not. It's to intentionally invest in that relationship. That's how we can grow in fellowship. There's no substitute for faithful times alone with your Heavenly Father. And that's the best thing that you can do for your life, for your marriage, even for your career, has indirect implications for your church and for the world. So the next best thing to grow in fellowship is like it, according to Jesus. It's living horizontally. It's loving your neighbor. And what would that look like? Well, sharing your life with others, sharing your relationship with God with others. If you're struggling, and honestly, all of us, if you've ever tried to have a quiet time, you've probably experienced some struggle. Like, what am I doing? Am I doing this right? If you struggle to pray, if you struggle to understand the Bible, talk to someone about it. I guarantee you that you're not alone. You can also invest in horizontal relationships by praying for people and having people pray for you. And then, of course, eat together, play together, chill together, watch the Chiefs together, serve together. But in all of that, have your direction sharing Christ together, sharing him in common. That's Christian fellowship. So the second answer that John shows us is that Christian fellowship is a show-and-tell experience. You've all heard about show-and-tell. I think I learned about it in kindergarten. You bring something, and you show something, and then you tell people about it. It's pretty self-explanatory. But so is Christian fellowship. John showed his experience with Christ, and then he's calling us to show our experience with Christ in action and then to tell in word. So it's show and tell. It's experience, action, and word. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. He says, what was from the beginning, which was Jesus. He is God. He is the eternal God. What we have heard, he heard Jesus talk. What we have seen with our eyes. And the we here, John's saying, I did it, and I wasn't the only one who saw him with my eyes. I looked at him, I touched him with my hands, concerning the word of life. Again, all these are names for Jesus. The life was manifested. He appeared. He was, reve- he, he was shown to us. And so we're proclaiming, we're telling you about Jesus. And so they're talking about Jesus and what they experienced with Jesus. It's a show and tell. Do you see that? I could literally show and tell you the show and tell in every verse from these 10 verses, but I'll spare you and just give you one more. Verses six and seven. If we say, that's the tell, that we have fellowship with him and yet walk, that's the show, in the darkness, and so no show. You say a no show. We lie and do not practice the truth. You don't have Christian fellowship. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So like vertical and horizontal, this is not show and tell when you want to or show or tell or choose whatever fits your personality. It's show and tell. It's both. Because if we say without doing, then we have incomplete fellowship. If we do without saying, then we have incomplete fellowship. So how can we do this? If we want to move towards Christian fellowship in our lives, in our community, how can we show Jesus in our lives and tell others about him? I think it starts with reflecting on what are we proclaiming? What are we telling? What are we saying? And also reflecting on what are our actions saying? What are we doing? And you can reflect on that with a vertical and a horizontal dimension. Ask God those questions. It's really important to have other people in your life that you trust to ask those questions to. We all have blind spots in our show and tell or our lack thereof. So here's, here's an even more specific example. Maybe you've been talking to yourself, you've been preaching to yourself the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of all things all the time. I can trust him. But then in your show, in your life, you've been living like it all depends on you. That's not show and tell. That's not Christian fellowship. Or maybe you've been loving your neighbor. You know, you've been helping them with their chores. You're very sensitive to their family life. And, and that's great. You've been building a relationship. But honestly, you're scared. You, you don't want to tell them about your faith, about Jesus. That's all show and no tell. And that's like putting a Band-Aid on a deadly illness. You're not really loving them. You're not really loving them. So if you've been paying attention to this passage, if you read the book of 1 John, and if you have an accurate assessment of yourself, you probably have begun to realize, shoot, I don't always live in the light at least not as Jesus himself is in the light, like John writes. My words and my actions, my show and my tell, they don't line up. And me too. That's, that's my takeaway when I read this. I'm right there with you. And so what are we to do? This is a problem. We could ignore it. We could downplay it, explain it away. But I think God brings this up intentionally to teach us something else about Christian fellowship. The third answer to the question, what is Christian fellowship, is that it deals with right and wrong. It deals with our shortcomings. It deals with God's holiness. It deals with our sin. It deals with perfection and imperfection. Hitting the mark, missing the mark, deals with these matters of ultimate importance. John writes in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we deal with right and wrong the way that God does. He says in verse 5 that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. So God is the standard. He is perfect. And John just runs us through a couple of options of how someone could potentially deal with right and wrong. We could say we have fellowship, but don't have actions. We could say that we have not sinned, and therefore our actions are always fine. 
Or option three, the right option, is we confess our sins, and then we experience fellowship with God and with others. Because fellowship is always vertical and horizontal, I think it's always a good idea to confess your sin to God and to others. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you have to write it as your Facebook status, but to have a few close, trusted friends so that you can grow in fellowship with God and with others. Confession is more than just saying it. That's where it starts. But confession actually comes to fruition through repentance and faith, repenting and believing. So confession is when we acknowledge we have sinned. Repentance is when we say, we don't want to do that anymore. We're going to turn from that. And then belief is saying, by God's grace, here's the direction I'm moving. And then including others in that would look like, would you help me? Would you keep me accountable? Would you help me to stay on that right path? When we repent and believe, we actually have show-and-tell material. We're experiencing the gospel for ourselves, and so believers around us can see God at work in us, and the world around us can tangibly see how the gospel impacts our lives. And so over time, we become walking examples of the life change that Christ brings about. And so if we want to move towards Christian fellowship, we have to deal with right and wrong. And so how are you dealing with right and wrong? And specifically, the discrepancy that is in all of our lives when it comes to right and wrong. What's your standard? If you want to deal with right and wrong, you have to have a standard. And the people sitting next to you or the people working next to you, they're not the ultimate standard. Not even comparing yourself this week with yourself last week or this year with last year. The standard is the perfect God in whom there's no darkness. And we have to use our standard. It's, it's good to have the right standard, but you have to use it. If you see the sin and wrongdoing of, in your life, have you confessed it to God and to others? If you don't, your vertical and your horizontal relationships will suffer. Your joy will not be full. Your show and tell, your, your witness, will be weakened. And so the only option that doesn't ignore or minimize or explain away right and wrong is turning to Jesus for forgiveness. He cleanses completely from all unrighteousness. Only repentance and faith, responding to the gospel, deals with right and wrong honestly. And so even though you might not hear it from the TV or from Facebook statuses or writing in the paper, the world always has and always will be looking and longing for this kind of relationship because we live in a right and wrong world. We live in a show-and-tell world. And we know that none of us are perfect. But in order for there to be a wrong, there must be a right an all-righteous one. And so here's the good news, that the all-righteous one, Jesus, covered your wrongs with his death. John writes in chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He has appeased God's justice. God must punish our sins because he's just, but Jesus came in between God and us and appeased him with his death. And not only for our sins, 
But John writes, for the sins of the whole world. So now our picture of Christian fellowship is complete. Christian fellowship is an open invite to the whole world. And it's easy, I know in my past, it's easy to hold on to really good and really sweet relationships. And Christian fellowship does that, but at the same time, it's inviting other people in to this sweet and deep relationship that we have with God, and therefore, because of our relationship with God, we can have it with each other too. We can share Christ in common. And with the world, we share our need for Christ in common together. But we can only share Christ as our treasure, as our Savior and our Lord, when they accept him, when they repent and believe and trust him and follow him. So our, our fellowship with the world is like a dotted line. It's connected, but it's not a solid connection. But we, we can and we should be solidly connected in fellowship to God and other believers, all the, all the while inviting others into that fellowship. It's never supposed to be just about us and God, but always looking to invite others in. So if that's you, if, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, and everybody at one point has been there, We're all born into sin. If you haven't received that invitation to trust him with your whole life, will you follow him? And if you want to make that vertical commitment, that vertical relationship today, tell me or tell someone that you know after the service because you have to, for Christian fellowship, have horizontal relationships as well. And if you have made that decision, what's the next step in your vertical and horizontal relationships? Are you including other people in that process? How has your vertical relationship been impacting your horizontal relationships with other believers and with unbelievers? Because I will tell you, your vertical relationship with God has been impacting your relationship and relationships with other people, every single one. It's been, re- it's been impacting your relationship with yourself and how you look at yourself. And if you have followed him, are you inviting others to do so as well? Are you trying to hold on to something which is best enjoyed by giving it away and enjoying it with others? So I hope you're able to see how vital, how essential fellowship is. It's so much more than a word to be rightly defined. It's a truth to be experienced in our daily lives when we're alone and together when we're speaking or just doing. And thanks to the death and resurrection of Christ, it's available even in the midst of our sinful nature. We actually get to experience the transformation of becoming more righteous people. Fellowship is absolutely essential to becoming the people that God's called us to be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we can only have right relationship with God because of you. We're so grateful for that. Would you teach us to relate horizontally out of our vertical relationship with you? As we continue in worship, just listen to God, repent of any sin that he brings to mind, and as you confess, know that you're forgiven and move forward trusting him.